Yes, sir. Uh, fill her up, please. Uh, just uh, this car? No, uh, all 70 of them and the... Uh, <laughs> and the uh, motorcycles. Yes, sir. Uh, by the way, do you uh, give uh, green stamps? No, no, sir, we don't. Forget it. This is the Failed State Update, and I am your host, Joseph L. Flatley. That clip we just heard wasn't JFK, believe it or not, but it was a uh, comedian named Vaughn Meter who had a really interesting life. He was a comedian, impersonator, actor, but he, he was most famously known for his 1962 comedy album, The First Family. It was really just a uh, lighthearted look at the president in a lighthearted time. And, I mean, America loved it, or at least they bought it like they loved it. Fastest selling album, I think, before the Beatles came out and obliterated all records. Records is not, not musical records, but the other kind of records. And the reason I played that is because there's a famous story, famous, uh, there's a story that, you know, as famous as stories about Lenny Bruce are these days, I guess. Um, he, as I hope you are aware, you know, was a very controversial, very timely comedian, always getting arrested, always getting thrown off stage and uh, for, for what he was saying. And, you know, so if something happens as shocking as the assassination of a president, people are going to want to know what Lenny Bruce has to say about it. And so everybody was kind of, you know, waiting with bated breath to see what would come out of Lenny Bruce's mouth when he came on the stage that November night, some nightclub in, I don't know where, I don't, in Chicago, perhaps. And uh, Lenny Bruce in his rumpled suit comes on stage smoking a cigarette. The crowd is... Hushed silence. Everybody's just staring at the stage, want to know what he's going to say. Sure, there were vice cops. They're ready to arrest him for obscenity, waiting in the wings. And uh, Lenny Bruce takes a drag of a cigarette and just goes to the mic and says, Man, Von Meter is fucked. That story keeps coming to mind for me because I think America is having its Vaughn Meter moment right now. A failed state is when a nation can no longer do just the basic things that a nation's supposed to be able to do, but it continues to act like it is a valid country, is an actually existing country. So, like, what do you call a country where the state can't stop black people from being murdered and incarcerated at an alarming rate, can't get COVID tests, can't get simple health care, can't ensure the elections, the integrity of our elections when elections are supposed to be the cornerstone of democracy. The list goes on. And where I sit, instead of seeing real, real change, we see symbolic figments of change like Nancy Pelosi with her kente scarf or this weird obsession with corporate white fragility doctrine or whatever the hell that is, instead of help for people who are poor and suffering, we're getting nods to, you know, Trumpian ideas like keep the Mexicans out and you bring back coal. That's a dead country and we're all Von Meter. So as you can tell, I've, I've, become a pessimist as of late. I um I think that and I, you know, I've said I've said this many times and I'll say it again in this episode, I'm sure, that America is going through a nervous breakdown, just a collective nervous breakdown. We're all nuts. Hopefully in the near future I'll have a Jungian on to to hash these ideas out with. Jung, he understood Hitler was uh expression for various aspects of the German psyche, and 
and he was correct when after World War II he he told the Germans the only way they could rebuild their country was to collectively atone for this and admit responsibility for Nazism. I'm not sure what we have to admit responsibility for. I mean, I have my ideas, but I'm not going to waste your time with them now. So realizing that the world is bummer news, bummer news stacked on top of bummer news like turtles all the way down, we're going to try to be a little less pessimistic today, or at least a little less morose and talk to the hosts of Boys Bible Study, a fantastic podcast that looks at faith-based movies, the kind of cultural detritus of our failed state. I mean, just looking at what passes for entertainment for half of the country really shows you what a frightening time our country's in. And it's always been this way, so I don't know why I'm acting so surprised all of a sudden. At any rate... Let's uh let's meet the Bible boys. Guess who just got back today? The wild eyed boys that had been away. Haven't changed, had much to say. But man, I still think them cats are crazy. Hey, how's it going? I am Ash of uh, semi-ironic, divinely inspired Christian film review podcast, Boys Bible Study. And uh, I uh, I love to watch America burn. Um, I am Julian. I've also come to warm my cockles by the fire of the, the, the embers of our failed state, just to give you a callback to the name of this podcast. And I would say our podcast, Boys Bible Study, has gotten a lot less ironic since that last that last episode you did, Ash. True, true. Well, you know. Um, well, however you want to describe our podcast, it's a great podcast. I am Scott. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, you, you know, the reason I'm so glad we could do this is because it's really been, like, bummer news, this podcast, as of late. Um you know, I started it. It was kind of tongue-in-cheek, the idea. Oh, the sky's falling. The country's falling. It's a failed state. And then I'll be damned if it didn't become relevant in about two weeks between COVID and, you know, now the collapse of society and the, uh, you know, Antifa thugs taking over and, um, you know, the the deep state fomenting unrest in the streets to try to take down president trump and uh so i'm glad you guys are around and we could have a little little fun with it because it's, it, all, it all got pretty depressing really quickly yeah i was i was gonna say uh, i i would love to tell you about boys bible study um the three of us uh we all share a mutual appreciation for christian films um on on many levels uh there's absolutely like a sincere level where we just we love the storytelling styles of this niche genre and we celebrate it and of course there's a a sort of self-destructive like ironic level to it as well but you know we all enjoy watching them together we've all become experts and every week on sundays at boysbiblestudy.com uh, almost every Sunday, we are putting out a new episode reviewing the best in contemporary Christian cinema. And we've had you on before. It was really fun. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed it. And the thing that it might not be the most obvious connection for uh, people that are used to listening and getting like hearing the worst news about the, you know, the unrest in the streets or whatever. But I mean, Christian cinema like conspiracy theories, which has been my kind of beat. I've written books about conspiracy theories and written, you know, lots of like feature articles and stuff. And before it was kind of just like an obscure niche thing. And now it's like such a part of the culture that it's like a really relevant, important story. And I feel like Christian cinema and just the Christian culture industry, that weird parallel entertainment industry in general is like an important story where maybe it wasn't even like, 15 years ago yeah i think that is accurate and i think that the christian media element now 
Um, now that they figured out there's like big money in it, basically, um, it does the same thing that like most big news outlets do, and will like push something that doesn't necessarily have a biblical, strong biblical backing because it gets more views and money. So that brings us to our movie for the for the day, uh, the Reliant, and you know we watched this must have been two months ago, and you know. Hilarious movie about an economic collapse and, you know, these Christians that have to hide in the woods from Antifa. And we watched the movie, then we recorded an episode and, you know, discussed it. And then it happened. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. it didn't exactly <laughs> happen. But like in like the, f- you know, like the fevered imaginations of Christians and right wing, far right wing people across the country, it did happen with the George Floyd protests. Leave us alone. What's happening? Oh, Thousands under attack. People are getting killed. We have to get out of here. And right now, we need to leave. Leave? I'm supposed to be getting married in 39 days, Dad. People are dying just two miles away. Oh. Daddy! Sophie, go! Go, get out of here! Run! It's chaos. It's anarchy. We a family dream. Three meals a day, and kids, and bedtime prayers. It's over. It's adapt or die. Oh, I've never, no, never known love like this before. I don't know how much more I can take. Like a kiss blown from heaven Oh, thank God. You're lying. I kind of remember what it was about i don't was there any specific event or anything that caused like the uprisings in the movie or was it just like the uh steady decline of quality of life in america and that was like implied that the bottom had pretty much fallen out uh beneath the upper middle class and the upper class and we're supposed to like they're the heroes because everybody below them is like raiding grocery stores and gun stores. I, I think it was like a vaguely defined economic collapse, whatever that means. I think yeah. that was like the crisis. It was just implied that it was like Occupy or Antifa that had like collectivized to the point where they were able to like roam through towns just killing indiscriminately. Like there was no, it wasn't like Uh, an official terrorist organization that was ever named. It was just like the general, I mean, it very much was like the Fox news movie where they just are telling you, like, if you go outside in a big city, this is what's going to happen. And like, this is just how city folk act. (laughs) City folk. Right. The general new thing of, I think you even talked about this on your pod a couple episodes ago, Lenny, how like anybody who is not a Trump supporter is Antifa now. Like if you, like if you're not a Trump supporter and you have an opinion, you're Antifa, right? Yeah, we uh, I, we talked about it on the our podcast with Xavier, um, with our guest Xavier Rutnowski, how we were we went to document and not in any way like rouse any rabbles, uh, but to just like videotape a Trump birthday party in Marina del Rey where it was just a bunch of Trump fans celebrating his 70-whatever birthday. And um, because we we weren't doing anything to agitate anybody, we weren't getting into any arguments with anybody, we were being very friendly. And um, just simply the fact that we were wearing face masks was enough to upset like two or three people to the point where one of them accused us of being Antifa. (laughs) Really? Yeah, it was pretty sad. That's very sad. And it's like... uh... You know, it's crazy. I mean, it's just crazy. Like, everybody is on such a, like, a hair trigger now as far as, like, ready to, like, be outraged at nothing. Absolutely. On on all sides. Um, everyone has very strong theories about things, and they're just projecting those onto the world, and everyone's really ready to be uh, scared and angry at 
at a moment's notice. It's very overwhelming. I'm very online person. I've been that way basically since I was 13 and I'm 30 now. I've never logged off. And this is a every day I feel like I'm getting closer to logging off. Like I can barely take this shit anymore. Um, that's a lot coming from me. That's all <laughs> I can say. <laughs> I, I'm just I'm just like scrubbing through this movie and I'm like looking at the picture of like the one riot scene and it's like it's not even like Antifa. It's like there's a couple people with like hoods and like bandanas on, but it's mostly oh. just like hoodies yeah does just this, regular looking love people. that does this movie start with um well i love how in a lot of these movies because they are only comfortable working with a certain type of actor or actress um that even the like antifa people look like trump supporters right <laughs> like, it's like, when you go to wearing, like car- cargo pants and like yeah. flannel jackets it's like when you go to a protest and there's like a couple like really obvious like undercover cops. Yeah. It's like it's like they're kind of doing what they can to fit in, but there's just no way they could fit in because they're like just a completely different human type of human being. Right. Can I ask you, does this movie start with a like a, mo- a stock footage montage of like the collapse of America? It does not. The first scene is that standoff in the hospital. Right. What about the opening like credits? Actually, no. It, it starts off cold with the with the hospital scene, but pretty soon. So I, I'm scrubbing through it. After the hospital scene, we get the title, and then it cuts to the family's home, and they on TV are watching footage of like riots happening okay. while they're just yeah. trying to enjoy. But it's it doesn't quite do the libertarian stock footage intro that we love. Yeah. Um it's it skirts <laughs> around that obvious trope, but uh to its discredit, honestly, I think it'd be better with that. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Just put it come on. It would have been a lot more intelligible if they would have just front loaded some of the explanation. Yeah, yeah. And cut like forty five minutes from this fucking two hour movie. God it reminds me how in the like original Mad Max, uh, it's implied that outside of the outback, like pretty much all of society is normal, and then they just like drop that for the f- rest of the series and the right, rest of the movie. Right. I just thought that was really weird, and I feel like that's kind of what was uh, maybe unintentionally that's what they had going on in this movie because we just see like life functioning normally for so many people but i mean that's how it is that's how it's my, very well maybe when uh, when the you know the collapse begins yeah whenever whenever the collapse begins <laughs> <laughs> so julian you you had a run-in with the law, or how many? How many run-ins with the law have you had since we record, uh, originally recorded this episode? Two that ended in arrests, and one that ended in a uh, tear gassing that I was in proximity to. I was not personally the brunt of the tear gas, but I, I was close close to the flashbangs than the tear gas, and. Uh, yeah, I don't want to speak for everybody who's been involved in this kind of stuff, but um, I was there undercover assisting the law enforcement in uh, taking photos of protesters. <laughs> and thank you, sir. Uh, no, I thank was. Uh, I I personally don't want to talk too much about the experience because it wasn't as for me. It was not as bad as it has been for a lot of people who uh, have experienced those things. Um, but even with that. Uh, yeah, the police fucking suck. I hate them more than I ever did before. Um, even having a relatively smooth experience getting arrested and having no like after effects of being tear gassed or whatever. But mm-hmm. I can tell you the time that we were uh, tear gassed and flashbanged and shot at with little pepper balls, uh, completely uncalled for. The only thing that I saw that would have warranted any sort of like response from the police was a somebody threw a half-empty water bottle at police in full riot gear, and then they unloaded with uh, multiple flashbangs and tear gas grenades, which uh, just doesn't seem like, why are you even wearing the armor if that's what's going to like set it off? Julian's saying it's not like a highly traumatic experience, but like 
it's still a, it was still a pretty fucked up situation because yeah. he's saying like comparatively to what other people have gone had to go through in LA wasn't that bad. You were still trapped on a bus for seven hours without a bathroom or food or water. Uh, yeah, yeah. The first time was only about three hours, and it was the LAPD that arrested us, and that was just weird because it felt like just part of a like the whole thing just felt like a fucking charade once they started arresting us. I mean, it was very scary leading up to it because we were in a protest. They had the curfews enacted, not for the coronavirus, but because people were um, people were protesting against police brutality. So, of course, what? how do the police respond to their own mistakes, but with uh, way more violence and borderline martial law um, to just let, let you really know who's in charge around these parts? And... Um, so we were part of a protest that was uh, that that continued after the curfew, and we were sort of like spontaneously started marching through downtown, and it was maybe like a group of less than a hundred people, and uh, yeah, the LAPD in like full riot gear, minus the f- gas masks, uh, sort of um, blocked us off in one little block of uh downtown so it was like everywhere you turned there was no exit and both ends of the street were just a line of more cops than i've ever seen in my life (laughs) and uh yeah it was very nerve-wracking at first but as it went on it just we got the vibe that like okay the whole goal of this march is to get arrested and like nobody's gonna start attacking the cops and the cops are probably not going to start attacking us considering there's like it was below several apartment buildings and there were just like witnesses in the windows yelling the whole time honestly the thing that made me more worried was like somebody in one of the apartments watching it trying to like dump water on the police or something to get us out of there (laughs) Yeah, I was more worried about that than uh, anything else because I was just like, I was uh, ready to be arrested at that point. It was been a very long day. Oh man! So is um. Oh, psyop! Oh yeah, man! This has been going on <laughs> since we started talking. I'm just not even closing the window. I'm Do like, you think they're like atmosphere. intercepted the si- Skype call and they're? Trying to shut it. Oh down. yeah. Oh, the NSA is listening to everything I do. There's no <laughs> doubt about that, <laughs> guys. I, what do y'all think about the uh, fireworks psyops thing? Because like the way it was explained for what's happening in New York, I'm like, I guess maybe. I don't live in New York, but like in LA, there's like always fireworks for a month. Oh like, yeah. yeah. This is like leading up to Fourth of July and the following week. Like, mm-hmm. I think oh, yeah. a lot of people are just cooped up and getting increasingly paranoid on both sides of the issue and uh in la like yeah i mean unless you are like new to town yeah firework season is like may 15th to september 30th right (laughs) oh yeah and then again uh, like three weeks before christmas it's it's so bizarre because like um like journalists, I saw like journalists, legit journalists on Twitter, like retweeting people's like unsourced rumors about like psyops, like, and they were like, you know, this is outrageous, you know, knowing the history of this country and how we treat black people, we should be really suspicious. And it's like, it took weeks for like one journalist to actually like go out and talk to kids with fireworks, you right. know, and like, it's like everybody's queuing on at this point. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. We've moved. This this is why uh, it it's too bad that you know Christianity has fallen out of favor because we've all moved back to you know essentially primal uh, superstition. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like this is why this is why we need yeah. the order of uh, of religion <laughs> back in the popular consensus. Yeah, That's you all know in your hearts, God is real and out there. Yes. So what you yeah. how you handle that? Kind of up to you, because uh, God gives you that choice. Exactly. I really don't think that the... I don't think that the police or the... I mean, maybe the FBI, but do they have the time to really be, like, organizing fireworks launching brigades to maybe, right. hopefully, like, some people will lose, like, two hours of sleep, and then just, like, their whole spirit will be crushed? 
Right. Yeah. Well, there's I mean, got to be somebody I've, who's like pitching yeah. a reason to like do fireworks. It sounds. Yeah, fun. yeah. I for see. Your job, but I mean, your, I yeah. did. You guys see the video of the uh, like street in Harlem that had like nine cop cars just driving yes, up I and did. down the side. Like, yes, I feel like they would they just did. do that if they wanted right. to. Right. Oh, yeah. It's like, like they're yeah. the police. They're in charge. Yeah. I. You know. One of my last couple episodes, I spoke to this person who was like a activist on the front lines on the streets in uh, Minneapolis and like you know she said it was completely mind nerve rattling mind numbing like you would be they'd ha- be having like a silent peaceful vigil like not even on the street just somewhere completely not in anybody's way like you'd have to go out of your way to even know that these people were there and like with the police driving around with their sirens on all the time and helicopters coming in really low, like dangerously yeah. stupid low, you know, it's like the police already have plenty of ways to, <laughs> to torture you without. Yeah. I mean, they can kill. I mean, the whole thing is that they can kill you and have no punishment. I don't think they need to like secretly be setting off fireworks. They don't have to secretly do something that people would already do for free anyways. <laughs> You ain't seen nothing yet. We are staying together, and we are trusting God. Jimmy, no! No! The only good answer for the question why is believe. Mercy is the light. The light that swallows up all the darkness. Then who is responsible, Sophie? Who is responsible for it? Do you know whose fault this is? It's God! God is responsible! It's God's fault! That's who! So that was the first half, or the first portion of the show that was recorded last week. And now I'm going to play the portion that we recorded a couple months ago, which, you know, obviously took place well before George Floyd was murdered. So when we talk about protests and big protests happening. We're talking about the anti-lockdown Second Amendment protests. We should probably tell people about... We should probably get into the... Uh, yeah. <laughs> the nuts and bolts of this movie because people aren't going to care otherwise. Um, <laughs> I mean, oh, this is going to be so hard. Like, it begins with... It begins in a hospital, right? Like, some guy runs in with his daughter. The Boz. And the played by the boss, and we don't mean Bruce Bruce Springsteen. Uh, the boss Bosworth Brian Bos Brian Bosworth. was his name Brian Brian Bosworth. Bosworth. Yeah, I mean I I don't think a blow by blow of this movie is necessary, but basically, what's the story? Some family, some good Christian family that has a lot of guns, are at home when. When Zanesville, Ohio breaks out into civil unrest? Is that? Yeah. yeah, they closed the plant. Yeah. And then, like, they're getting attacked by these, like, people that are supposed to be Antifa, but they're, like, just regular Bible toting middle Americans with hoodies, some of them. Yeah. Yeah, they're I mean, all from Yeah, they, church. like, they have all the signs that, like, bailout, where's our bailout and stuff like that, but it's, like, these are just the working class rising up against the against the uh, ruling elites and then the like petite bourgeoisie of Kevin Sorbo's doctor family is like caught in the middle. But it just doesn't make any sense that like who was working at the factory that they're like all these these like Antifa people Right. I don't know. I've, no, absolutely. It's so confusing. No, that spot. That's <laughs> spot on. Guys with guns. It's Zanesville, Ohio. And then, so there. So then, Kevin Sorbo, who you kind of assume is going to be the main character, him and his family get ready to bug out. Like they're obviously preppers. He's like, "Get your bug out bag. Everybody, grab your guns." And then, like, the Antifa people come and kill the one parent and wound the other parent, wound the mother, and then the kids run into the woods. 
Yeah. I was going to say, like, while this is all going on, there's this, like, debate between the entire family and then one daughter who is, like, anti-gun, but everybody else is like, you need to have a gun. Like, you should have a gun. Yeah, they have one. So that's like they have one liberal yeah. daughter for some reason. It's like a recessive gene in the family. Is like one out of your five children will be a liberal just genetically. But but the reason she's anti-gun is really good, and I'm just gonna spoil it right now. The listener does not have to go through what we did. The reason she's anti-gun is because her brother Jimmy shot her sister Becca in the head and killed her. Yeah, this is. So, yeah, I I mean, I'm down to talk about that part because chronologically it did happen before all this. Right. And it helps to make everything else make more sense because you because that was one of the reasons we kept being like, why is this happening? It's because they hadn't explained early enough that like this thing happened. That's why she doesn't trust her brother who loves guns. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know. I mean, up until this point, I, the only point that I want to make is it really like there were a lot of scenes with like lots of rioters and people running around with guns and, you know, like fakey after effects explosions in the background and smoke billowing and stuff. And it really seemed like it was going to be like a kick ass action adventure movie. And then yeah. the kids ended up in the woods and then they just debated God for like 40 minutes or an hour. Oh, the okay. opening was awesome. Yeah, so it was a real bait and switch. So, yeah, and then the arguments, um, they just felt like... it. They were constantly, like, arguing about... One side would be, like, you have to believe in the God, and then the other side would say, like, look, gun ownership is about personal responsibility, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, it, it, it didn't make... If that sounds confusing, it's because it really did feel like it was written by two different people who did not read what the other person was writing. Yeah, like, <laughs> um, yeah, and that that seems to be the debate in the movie is being able to reconcile your like belief in God and being anti-violence while also recognizing that when the time comes and it will come. You're going to have to smoke some people. I think that's a great read, Julian. And it's a shame because like, that's a read that is spot on. And you had to come to that conclusion yourself, basically, because like the movie refused to like really commit to an ideological stance. You know what I mean? Like, I think a lot of the like the befuddlement that I experience when I'm watching uh, a faith movie is like the movie was obviously not made for me. Like, yeah, you know, it's like a lot. There's got to be a lot of assumptions that the writer has and the director has and that their intended intended audience has where this like makes this stuff makes perfect sense. I'd like to imagine there's someone, you know, uh, I, I, I hope, I guess, for the sake of the filmmakers that there are people out there who, you know, see this and are like, this movie's made for me. But I don't know. Again, I, I, I feel that way about some movies that we watch for boys Bible study. This one, I'm just like, oh, I just had such high hopes for it. It was so promising. I think it could have really been a firebrand film for like a certain type of audience. But I just, you know, not to be a broken record, but I just I just really don't think it it went there when it could have, you know. It's just I, I mean, I think it's primarily just like gun rights propaganda I mean, the guy like the they even have like the argument of like gun usage is a personal like you don't blame the what did he say you don't blame the you, you don't, don't blame, blame oh yeah stick, you, don't, you blame the hand you, holding the stick yeah and then we see that he has that mindset because he was the one who accidentally killed his daughter but then he's saved, so he's forgiven for his actions. But also, like, Kevin Sorbo, who used to just go take naps in his house with his gun in an ankle holster <laughs> so his kids could just grab it and shoot each other. And his dirty scrubs. Uh, After yeah, coming we, back from the hospital, this gun he takes to the hospital with him. Yeah, we, <laughs> we see that, like, he saw that that was a problem and he remedied it by 
buying like 15 more guns but putting them all in a safe in the house well i mean gun safety well yeah yeah, exactly i I mean that i think that kind of goes to my point of this being a movie for like people that are already ideologically convinced as far as the need for guns and the desirability for guns and how important guns are that like to have these like little minor discussions like about like how many like how many guns you have and where you should keep them should you keep them in your ankle holster or should you lock them in a safe or really like just minor squabbles and like the wider world that of course everybody's supposed to have guns yeah and like you know it's like if you're ideologically convinced that guns we should all have guns it's like it's probably not too much to say well yeah of course they can cause trouble of course you know kids can accidentally (laughs) blow their sister's heads off but um but you know that doesn't obviate like the larger point of like all god's children got guns It was nice to see a doctor character in a movie who was, like, just a piece of shit who, like, owned a bunch of guns and <laughs> was just so ready to, like, kill everyone. I was just going to say, that first scene, speaking of doctors and guns, that first scene was pretty crazy. Like, like what, Boz, somebody comes in yeah. to the hospital, emergency room with his kid, and then, like, wait, what would happen? And then Kevin Sorbo shows up as a doctor and he's like, oh, I'll take care of this. And then, and then, like, his nurse is like, but no, your your daughters have, you know, your wife's giving birth in the next room. You should be with her. And he's like, no, I'll take care of this. Then it turns into a gunfight. Oh, and he, yeah, like, yeah. pulls his gun yeah. out. And he's, like, Boz. shooting the shooting Boz. Uh, no, but it's because Boz was, uh, he was drunk driving. And they could, like, smell the alcohol on him. And so they were going to arrest him. And he pulled the gun out. Yeah. Well, I, well cuz he was why like I have to go with my daughter and they're like you smell like alcohol you can't. Yeah, you, I think they were going to arrest him. And then he but, made things worse by pulling a gun out in the hospital. Even though apparently if you're a doctor you can just be strapped. <laughs> um, well, but just, his daughter was named Faith. I'm just thinking about this now. His daughter, Boss's daughter was named Faith and he says I can't lose my faith, uh, which is a pretty good line. But now I'm thinking that daughter of Kevin Sorbo's, who was born that same day, he named her Faith. Do you think it was just, like, in the back of his head? No, I think it was a real thing. Like, I think it was some weird Kevin Sorbo philosophical Christian thing, like, Faith died, but Faith will live. You know, like, some hackneyed thing like that. I, I wanted to frame this first scene by just for clarity to say that, like, so this movie needed a villain in some way because, like... You know, they, again, sort of refuse to really, like, take too strong of a stance on any of the main characters. Like, there's little conflicts in between them, but we still need a reason to root for them. And they're not going to, like, really politically analyze the society that contributed to this. So we have to have, like, a person who's the villain. And that is why the character of Boz is introduced in the first scene as, yeah, this guy who basically killed his daughter by being drunk in a car and then like goes ape shit tries to grab a police police officer's weapon and because he's a white dude did not just get immediately executed on the spot um he's allowed to live and become antifa in the future and um yeah he uh he becomes an anti antifa thug and he gets his revenge by killing kevin sorbo and his daughter right like one of the daughters oh no didn't he shoot like the little girl he, he tried too? to but she, she survived yeah, right? she didn't die though yeah yeah oh, she, she survived, survived. Oh, okay mm-hmm. yeah yeah she just so, needed yeah, antibiotics he's... remember right oh right right boz is like he's basically the main antifa stalking the kids through well there's the one bad guy in the cowboy hat but it's like so so, like, the entire, like, all the liberals are rioting in the streets. But then, like, it quickly becomes this, like, straw dogs thing where, like, Boz and 
his crew are trying to like kill Kevin Sorbo's family. But it like it's just really strange to have that going on like it almost makes sense when I explain it, but when you watch it it's so disorienting. Well, it's I mean, it's not even clear if like the people rioting are liberal necessarily cuz the movie just co-ops the imagery of like protest and then runs away by saying like, "Oh, these people are bad. They're going to kill every one of you as soon as they get the chance." without saying like, "What do they believe in?" cuz like people like I don't think Occupy Wall Street people did not want to just, like, go door-to-door executing every person they saw. Right. I mean, I would be all for it if they released that as, like, a position. (laughs) (laughs) But that's, like, never—it's just, like, if you are living in a comfortable home and you see these things on TV, this movie wants you to know that, like, those people are are bad people. Because, like, if you, like— you are living in a comfortable house, therefore you were a good person because you deserved it and you earned it. And, like, you, if something's wrong, if you see something wrong, you fix it by, like, within the means of the system. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you you deserve the situation you have. And anyone who's out there protesting, they pose a threat to you. Like, you have to be be ready for their physical threat at any time. I mean, yeah, it's a kind of ironic seeing it now that the main protests in the news are a bunch of uh, Second Amendment rights people standing, marching on uh, state capitals demanding to be able to go to Baskin-Robbins. Yes, holding automatic <laughs> weapons. So it doesn't quite hold up now. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing about, like, the political right, like the kind of, like this weird Trumpian right that's kind of like been blending it's into the extreme right over the last four years it's like everything that they claim to be reacting like nothing that they claim to be reacting to exists mm-hmm. and yes. they are really epitomizing the kind of bad behavior and crazy unhinged possibly violent behavior that they claim to be opposed to it's they're gaslighting us yeah, well, the oppression that's experienced by some of these people is typically, I mean, if there is any, it would be, like, class oppression, if it's, like, a lower-class, working-class white family, which is, like, such an existential threat, whereas, like, every other, when we talk about oppression, typically we see it in the form of, like, a police officer murdering a minority um just on the street or like cops or, or like soldiers marching down the street uh in, enforcing martial law but like people who feel oppressed but can't see their oppressor i guess like i don't know how to phrase this but it's like they don't know exactly what they're lashing out at but now they see it as an opportunity to lash out right But at the other hand, most of the people at these things are, like, I would assume are, like, middle-class people who just... Like, the protest is to get people back to work to serve them. Yes, to serve them. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing. They are oppressed, but they don't understand that it's capitalism and people like Trump and people that he works hand-in-hand with that are oppressing them. Just literally because they say, look over there. Right. Yeah, it's like you got to think like if your business is failing because you can't get your employees to go back to work, is that like a fault of the like government enacting these like the these uh suggestions to keep people from spreading a virus or is it because like the way of putting up a safety net in the event of a big virus where everybody has to come in is like just one big there's just one giant hole in the safety net where like everyone's falling through right do that make any yeah, sense yeah absolutely well, i think we've gone <laughs> probably way too far off topic <laughs> yeah what were we talking about oh yeah we watched a movie <laughs> well, <laughs> I, th- I, I think this uh, all but i think i think oh sorry go on wait did we lose lenny yeah, Lenny, are you there? I heard a Skype sound effect, and I wasn't sure what oh happened. Oh, my God. 
Oh, there's something in the chat. Oh, yeah, he he call. left the call, and then it made a recording of what we had talked about so far. Something must have happened. He must have, like, his okay. computer must have died, or he must have disconnected oh, in some way. I mean, it's okay. Wait. I got an invite. You did? Hey. Oh, wait, what the heck? Wait, can we add him back in? What happened? Does anybody have his number? I can't believe this just became an episode of uh, Boys Bible Stuff. Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> for long. Well it wasn't for long. <laughs> it was only like a minute. Um, okay. Okay. That's great. Yeah, maybe that was a, that was a sign from God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my only. Yeah, if if it saved like the group backup recording that we were doing up until that point and you guys have all your individual recordings yeah you'll be able to sync it alright so it turned into the seventh seal for a while and then (laughs) (laughs) and then and then like mom showed up with her like new militia boyfriends yeah and what's up with them the the Winklevoss twins were those the Winklevoss twins (laughs) no they're the southern what did you call them Julian you said they were uh the Christian uh, Florida ATL and Georgia twins. line. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, I said they were the Christian ATL twins, and yeah, Julian nicknamed them Florida uh. and Georgia line. <laughs> that's like I've got to say, that's like exactly my type. I want to have two identical Christian boyfriends, um, just like that. They didn't make out in this, but damn shame. It was like there was some sexual tension between the oh, two. Of, of course. Them. Oh, absolutely. Oh, and you know what? This kind of. This movie, so this movie was almost two hours long, which is obviously too long for almost any movie. Um, but this, that part was cool. When mom showed up again, I was like, okay, this movie's good again. Um, and I really think if they just cut out all the meandering conversations, like who are those conversations really for? Like if you're enjoying this movie already, you probably already understand the concept of Christianity and the concept of being stoked about owning guns. So like what why did they have all those conversations? Like I think I think you just cut that out and then the movie's pretty good. Well, they had those conversations because Christian movies and like art or media aim towards like people in the patriot community or the two A community or the conservative community. It's really about reinforcing what they already believe. So it's like if you can have like two people talking and basically having a conversation that obviously leads to like reinforcing your your beliefs like and you don't have to be challenged like that's a successful movie it felt like this it felt like the study guide portion of the movie like the part of the movie where all the like questions are asked and the like the materials released for you know, yes. classrooms that want to order yes. this movie or it's like and have feature a films for families and just has all those questions on the back to ask your kids afterward. Yeah, just to make sure that you're paying attention and being indoctrinated. Well, what do you guys think about this in uh, looking at in at it in the terms of like now that we're living at the end of the world? You know, it's like, like, like the apocalypse that these Christian filmmakers feared is upon us. And it, and it's like, guns aren't going to help anybody. Yeah. Um, that's that's true. I mean, especially with regards to Corona, but, um, I, I think that in a way this movie, now that I think about it is like a really effective depiction of that in only because it is as bland and banal as our apocalypse is. Um, I think it actually, like, I, I don't know. I was kind of hating it, this whole discussion. But right now, I just sort of realized, uh, oh, yeah, it is that boring, isn't it? Huh? Um, yeah. yeah. I think a lot, there's a lot of people sitting around just, like, wishing that things were more violent right yeah. now. Yeah. You wish you could get off. I mean, there's yeah. people going out with assault rifles. You wish you could get off as easy. Like, trying to start shit. I have a very sensitive constitution. This is about as much unrest as I can handle. <laughs> hey, so does the United States. <laughs> um, how many episodes of uh, Boys Bubble Study have you guys done? 
Oh gosh, uh, I that's fifteen to fifteen probably. Yeah, including bonus ups, maybe between fifteen and twenty. Oh yeah. So, do you guys have a consensus of like what your favorite movie was out of that fifteen? Ah, a, a general consensus. Uh, mine is, I believe. I believe rocks. Um, yeah, I believe. It's I really good. I've got to say probably a Jehovah's Witness. Like, I mean, the impact has kind of you know I've seen it too many times, but the Prodigal Returns by Jehovah's Witnesses I think is a brilliant film. Um, maybe that's my favorite yeah. right now. That's a good pick. I feel like, yeah, my personal one, and I feel like it might be the one that it's, it was the one that started it all. Um, what was the, the name? The Sorbo one? Last Ounce of Courage. Last, last Ounce, Ounce of, of Courage. courage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, Last Ounce of Courage. Yeah. yeah, Last Ounce of Courage. Yeah, my favorite one is the one I can't even remember <laughs> the name of. <laughs> what What was that about? Oh, Lenny, you definitely got to yes, watch that Yes, you do. One. So First good. Of all. Yeah. But Julian, it's the please war on explain Christmas. what it's about. It's like a small town biker mayor slash pharmacist um, says that he's bringing Christmas. Love it already. Yeah, he's bringing Christmas back, and then big government tries to stop him. And, and since he's the mayor, it's he's literally he's keeps talking about like fighting the man, basically. But he literally is the man. It's like really wild. Yeah, it's like an Obama-era War on Christmas movie, and it truly, like, it was the one I feel like that kind of, for me personally, like, opened my eyes to that, like, Christian movies have some some of the most shocking moments in all of cinema contained within them. Like, and it's only gotten weirder from that moment like the climax of that movie like and it's only gotten weirder from there like and i believe how like the guy's leg grows back and like a little girl is shot and like let there be light has like the crazy ass like defeating isis with by pointing our camera uh, our, our phone flashlights towards the sky and I don't know. For me, it was like the moment in Last Sounds of Courage where you're like, I cannot believe that just happened. That was like one of the first moments in Christian movies that I feel like I experienced that in. I kind of wish that there were more of those moments in um, in this film, you know? Uh, it had it had so much potential yeah. to really, really shock. Um, but... what. Well, the baptism at the end. That was kind of crazy. Yes. Yeah. Oh, the first <laughs> 10 minutes, like... the last 10 minutes were great. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It was like the first, like, all the building up with, like, the riots and the all that shit. And then, like, the ending where, like, the cavalry came with the guns and, you know, but it was like nothing happened for, like, you know, good 90 minutes in between. But, you know, I mean, the one thing I've been trying to put my finger on and listening to you guys you know and and talking through talking to you I've kind of like I think I'm able to vocalize it like Christian cinema is really aggressive like there's no such thing as the pure filmmaking where you can just like let something happen it's all it's like propaganda like there's there's no point where they're not trying to proselytize yeah it's very like uh, <laughs> I, I think I'm using this right, but it's very like Brechtian. It's very like uh, there's always a moral. It's always point like it's always turning directly to you, the audience, and saying like this is what the movie is saying. Like this is what you will believe from watching this. You know, it's uh, it's hard to imagine. It's funny because it's ostensibly construed as like entertainment for a class of people that's like let out of entertainment because they don't agree with the values, but. It's hard to imagine any of it is really entertaining because I don't know who at the end of the day is entertained by someone just like just like wagging a finger at them, you know, the entire time. It's it's very hard to imagine anyone is like basically anyone other than us is like actually entertained by these movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's the people I mean, yeah, like to the people that this is targeted towards it's like christianity is like first and foremost and like you're gonna be rewarded in heaven because you didn't watch the avengers you watched uh uh the pure flicks version of the avengers instead 
I mean, it's kind of like the thing where, like, people are, like, doing this weird, like, oh, yeah, look at these people who decided to go to Easter Mass, and now, like, two members of their congregation are dead from coronavirus. Told you so. Like, you should have you known, but in reality, it's like, you know, a lot of people don't care if they die from coronavirus by going to church because like that seems like instant access to heaven oh, yeah, that's the best you can do yeah that's like uh you know I, again i i said it a couple times throughout the episode but like i said i mean when i heard about the plot of this movie kevin sorbo's movie about antifa thugs like harming a pure christian family it was like oh my God, this is the zeitgeist. Like, this is what it's it's all about. Like, you know, it's 2019 when this came out. So that was especially on everyone's mind. And we got this tepid fucking story that absolutely, it, it was never like because of like Obama. That's why there's Antifa now. Like I, I was yearning for something like that. But instead we got a very, very light, like Christian hunger games where they're talking about God in the woods while, you know, a couple people are shooting at each other. Um, un- unfortunately, yeah, I, maybe it's just because my expectations were so high, but I've, I've got to say not one of my fave Sorbos, but, uh, you know, in some way, definitely a, definitely a look at the times we're currently in. I, I don't think it's like an unimportant watch. However, it was not my favorite of the ones I've seen. Uh, I liked it. I think after talking about it too, and um, Ash, actually, you pointing out like the blandness, the banalness of it, really, and blandness for like much of it being similar to how we're experiencing things now. Um, I think it just made it even better. Like in the fact that this wasn't made right now and was made probably like two years ago, really. Uh, I don't know. It's pretty good. And I always like seeing Sorbo, and it's it's so much fun to see uh, Eric Roberts um, depicted as, like, the <laughs> co-star when he shows up for five minutes. He literally plays, like, he works at the grocery store for oh, right. not even five minutes. Yeah. That's, that's being generous. It was, like, one minute. Yeah. He looks bad, too. He looks like he wandered yeah, he onto real the set. Bad. Yeah. They just shaky cammed him real quick. Gotta admit the uh, the ankle holster nurse uh, is really funny. Yeah, that combo <laughs> is very funny. Oh yeah, this movie had some laughs for sure. And that wedding dream sequence. That part was good. And then, that part was so good. good. <laughs> and mom oh, showing that was good. Mom showing back up out of nowhere, and she's like all confident and has guns. And those two new boyfriends who are just deputies after they're like the police. The police ran away. And it's like, oh, no, they're not. No, they didn't. And then, like, yeah, it was like, what was amazing, it wasn't she. It wasn't just like Mama Bear came back for her children or whatever. She was literally like, all right, you take that flank. I'm coming over here. And she had a gun and stuff. She was like, like, she Rambo. Yeah, was she was like, amazing. what's her name in Terminator? I'm, how could I draw yes. a blank? I just rewatched. Sarah Connor. Yeah, Sarah Connor. Yeah. She was yeah. like Sarah Connor in Terminator. That... That is exactly what I thought in that scene. I thought I thought of her. Um, we should have been following her Terminator. the whole movie. Yeah. Oh my we god, that's wa- a great point. We should have been watching Terminator. Yeah. This whole time. <laughs> well, you can say that a lot of times when you watch a movie. Well, I'm going to give this movie a one for one star for um, one big letdown. Oh. Because I really, really had high hopes. And, like, there's literally 10 or 15 minutes from this movie that really you felt like it was going to live up to that promise. But, eh, I guess faith-based films aren't always what they seem to be. Yes, a lot of times the trailers are way better than the movies, which is true for all movies. You know, some are studs and some are duds. Well, especially with this movie, it had... It had enough like awesome stuff in it that you can make a really great trailer from it that's really exciting. Well, thanks, guys. I had one hell of a time uh, hanging out with y'all through the magic of Skype. And um, why don't you tell everybody where they can find your amazing content? Please go to boysbiblestudy.com. Links to all of our feeds, you know, uh, Apple Podcasts, um, everything's on there. We also have a Patreon. Uh, if you listen to our public episodes, you really like them. You want to support us and also hear our bonus episodes. Patreon.com slash Boys Bible Study. Um, we would we'd love to have you watch Christian films with us.
Oh, awesome. Thanks, guys. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Thank you. And peace, peace be with you, Lenny. Welcome.